As we open up God's word, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity again to hear from you as we consider what does it look like to live life in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would uh, just stoke up our joy. Lord, as we're thankful that you have called us to yourself, that you have given us this beautiful life, knowing that this is a life that will last for eternity with you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're finishing up our five-week series now on what is the gospel. And uh, what I want to talk about this morning is the kingdom of God. We've been talking a lot about what we've been saved from. We've been saved from our sin. We've been saved from its power. The power of sin is, is a, the power of death over us. It's separation from God forever. We've been saved from that by Jesus' death on the cross as he takes our sin upon himself and by his resurrection as he conquers that power of sin and death forever. But we also have been saved to something. That's, that's something that I wonder if is, is somewhat neglected as we think about what the gospel is and what the gospel does. It's not just that we've been saved from something. We've been saved to something. And what we've been saved to is Christ's kingdom, life with him that starts now and lasts for eternity. What is the kingdom? What does that mean? We, we, we use this term, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and we have some sense of what a kingdom is, kind of. We live in a country that, that has never had a monarchy, but we've read enough stories and we see that around the world. I think we have a general sense of what a kingdom is. But what does that mean in terms of God's kingdom or Christ's kingdom? Well, remember when we started last week, the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus comes and his first declaration there in that Gospel is this. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We talked about repentance and belief last week, but he says you do that because the kingdom of God is at hand. What is the kingdom of God? Think of it this way. The kingdom of God is the ultimate reality of Christ's reign over a redeemed and renewed universe. The kingdom of God is at hand. Christ is saying, I have arrived. Everything that's gone wrong in the world, everything that has broken this world, everything that has bound up this world under the power of sin and death is now being undone. And I'm stepping back in to bring the world back to what it was created to be under the right reign and rule of God. This is ultimate reality. Right? And so this ultimate reality of Christ's reign and rule over a redeemed and renewed universe, again, very much in contrast to the kingdom of this world that is under the reign of sin and death. That's what the kingdom of God represents, Christ's reign. Listen to what J.I. Packer uh, says about this. He says, The coming of the kingdom meant a new stage in God's redemptive historical program. The Messiah Jesus arrived, redeemed, and withdrew to his throne with a promise 
that he would come again. All that was typical, temporary, and imperfect in the God-given arrangements for Israel's communion with himself had become a thing of the past. God's Israel, Abraham's seed, was redefined as the company of believers in Jesus. The Spirit was poured out and a new way of life, namely life in Christ with Christ, became a reality of this world. That's what the kingdom of God is about. We see, though, that the kingdom of God has this sort of two parts to it. There's the already of this kingdom. He has come, and this reign is, is in effect in the lives of those of us who are in Christ. But it's already not, it's, I'm sorry, it's already, but it's, it's also not yet. Because he's going to come back, and when he does come back, he'll bring about the fullness of this kingdom. There will be no two kingdoms, a kingdom of this world and a kingdom of Christ. It will all be the kingdom of Christ. There's an already and a not yet reality to Christ's reign. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says this, He went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then in chapter 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So you get this picture of this already uh, bringing about of the kingdom and this, this future kingdom. Think about what it says there, by the way, in Matthew chapter 4. He went in to the, throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It's interesting, when you look at the, the New Testament, you see the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and he's proclaiming that the kingdom of God has arrived. He's also doing miracles, right? He's healing people. He's raising people. He's, he's doing uh, acts that, that show the subduing of, of nature's destructive forces. And you think, what, what is he doing in all of that? Why is he doing all of that? Well, one, he's, he's demonstrating his authority over all things. This is a declaration that he is, of course, the God of heaven. But I think there's also an element to it in which he's, he's showing us what the ultimate reality of the kingdom of God is really like. Here in the midst of this broken world where things like disease and decay are at work, he sort of peels back the layer by, by these miraculous supernatural acts that, that sort of pull back and show that in his kingdom there is restoration. There is wholeness, right? So he's showing us something of the kingdom both now and what it will be in the future when it comes in its fullness What sin undoes, remember what we've talked about, what sin undoes, it undoes our harmonious relationship with God and with ourself and with others and with the world. Christ has come to redeem and restore. And that is the kingdom of God. J.I. Packer also says this, the golden age of blessing is an era of present spiritual benefit It's salvation from sin and fellowship with God that leads to a future state of unmixed joy in a reconstructed universe. 
The kingdom is present in its beginnings, though future in its fullness. In one sense, it's here already, but in the richest sense, it's still to come. That's what the kingdom of God is about. So what I want to do this morning is talk about, briefly, what this already and not yet kingdom look like. What does it mean for us to be in Christ and to experience life in the kingdom? And I'm going to start by beginning with what we have to look forward to. Let's go to the not yet. Let's look into the future and see what this, this fullness of the kingdom as it's, as it's brought about in, in its entirety will look like and what that means for us. And then we'll come back and talk about the already. And let's talk about what that ultimate reality means for the way we live today. Let's talk about the heavenly kingdom, the future kingdom. Let me, let me just take us to the book of Revelation here. We get a glimpse as the apostle John is given this vision of the end, of the, the fullness of, of the kingdom coming about, and he writes it down for us. We get a picture of what heaven will look like. This is from Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 to 5. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And then there's this detailed description in the verses that follow of the measurements and, and the elements of what the city is, is made up. And it's, it's beautiful. Everything is pure. Everything is sparkling. Everything is made from precious metals and precious jewels. The streets themselves are made out of gold. We're told in, in, in that chapter that, that the, the gold is so pure that it's, it's transparent like glass. And then John continues to write, he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and also on either side of the river, the tree of life 
with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's a pretty amazing picture. And again, I want you to notice that, that everything that sin undoes, right? Harmonious relationships with God, with others, and the world, Christ redeems and restores. That's what this picture of the new heaven and the new earth represent. It's, it's redeemed, a redeemed universe. It's redeemed humanity. It's everything being restored back to what it was intended to be. And the best part about that, the best part about that, is that we will be in the presence of God forever. That's what makes heaven heaven. That was our biggest problem. Our sin had separated us from the presence of God, from relationship with God. And here we see that that will be fully restored. And we will see him face to face. We will see God. We will bask in his love and his glory and his goodness all the time. Never again separated in any way, shape, or form. That's what makes heaven, heaven. You will be right where you were created to be. You will experience all of life that God had fully intended for you, and you'll find all of that in relationship with him. Present with God, under the reign of Christ. And we'll have restored relationships with one another and with the world. Remember it said there, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. We were, we were cut off from the tree of life. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that tree will be there and we'll be able to eat fully from it. And it says that the leaves of this tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer anything accursed. We see a restoration of all of creation. No decay, no death, no disease, no accursed. Everything will be teeming with life. And again, the throne of, the, of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and we as his servants will worship him. All of us together, it, it will be like the, the best kind of church service you could ever experience or imagine, right? All the time. Fellowship and unity as we worship God together forever. And it says here that they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. That tells us that, that there will be cultural diversity there, but unified. Diversity, but unity. And nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. There will be sinless relationships in heaven. Always. No more hurts. No more disappointments. No more failures. Certainly no abuses or harm. Sinless relationships total restoration i love to read the bible's picture of heaven because for whatever reason pop culture has a, a really different 
uh, picture of what heaven will look like. We've all seen the cartoons or the depictions in movies or books where there's just sort of this this cloudy blue sky, right? There's sort of nothing around but, but clouds and people sitting on, on the clouds playing harps, and it just sort of looks boring, right? It looks boring. This is not like pop culture's depiction of heaven. What we see here is a restored Eden. A restored Eden where God is present with us where we are in relational harmony again with him and with others, and that this will be a familiar existence. It'll be much like what we're used to. It's a new earth. It's not something other than an earth. It's a new earth, right? It'll be familiar, yet it will be perfected. There's going to be nature there. There will be wildlife. There will be buildings, and there will be work to do. Right? We will have a, we'll have a job. We'll have purpose. We just won't have toil. Everything will be joyful. Everything will be uh, wonderfully experienced as it was meant to be. And for eternity, we will get to grow in both knowledge and love for God and for others. You're not going to show up in heaven and just be perfect in your love. You'll get to grow in it. Eternity will always be, be fresh and new. That's the picture that we have here from Scripture. And listen, for all of us who've trusted in Christ by repentance and faith, this is what we have to look forward to. This is something that we will assuredly experience. This is where we will be for eternity. At the end, of this earthly life. Remember what Jesus said to the thief who was hung on a cross next to him when that thief turned to him and and in repentance and faith declared Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. At the end of this earthly life, we will be present with God. That's the not yet that we have to look forward to. Christians, this is our hope. And again, that hope is not wishful thinking. It's an assured, confident hope. Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. He will take us with him, right? This is our assured hope. That's the kingdom of God in its fullness. That's the not yet realization of that. Now, if that's the case, if that's the the not yet, then what does that say about the already? If that ultimate reality is real, then what does that say about how we live our lives now? So let's talk about the kingdom of God as an earthly experience, the earthly kingdom And again, remember, what sin undoes, sin undoes harmonious relationships with God, ourselves, others, and the world, and Christ redeems and restores it. So, if we're going to be living as citizens of the kingdom of God now, in the already, to live under the reality of Christ's reign, then we ought to be living in that reality on earth 
as it is in heaven. That's what the earthly kingdom is about. It's to live on earth as it is in heaven. What does that, what does that look like? What does that mean in the here and now? What does that mean when, when we don't have these perfected bodies and we, we aren't in a sinless environment? Well, the beginning of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was teaching the crowds about the kingdom of God, what it was like. And someone asked him this question. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment from God's law? And this is how Jesus answered. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. This is what he's saying about what it means to live on earth as it is in heaven. To love the Lord your God and to love others as yourself. What does it mean then to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul? What does that entail? It's about living in right relationship with him. And there's three ways that I want to encourage us to think about that relationship this morning. Okay? There's a million things I could say about this. And the good news is Scripture says lots about what it means to live in right relationship with God. And we have the fullness of Scripture to pour into. And I want to encourage us to continue to do that. So I I can only do so much in one sermon. But but I want to bring up three things, three important things that talk about what it means to live in right relationship, to love the Lord your God. The three things are this, to live in thankfulness, to live in holiness, and to live in wholeness. Thankfulness, holiness, wholeness. Let me read to you three passages from Scripture, and then I'll give you some thoughts here for for some application. The first one is Colossians 1, 13-14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Romans 6, 1-4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him, therefore, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 11, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's talk about what it means with those verses in our minds to be thankful. What are we thankful for? We are thankful for his grace. 
1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. To love God with your heart, mind, and soul is to be thankful every day for the salvation that he's given to you. To remember his mercy, to remember his goodness and his kindness that has led you to repentance, that that has redeemed you from this life of sin and death and decay and brought you and transferred you into this kingdom of his beloved son. And you say, why me, God? What have I done to deserve this? Nothing, right? This is pure grace. This is God's love. And we say, thank you. And walk in that thankfulness because we know that the victory of Christ through the cross and the resurrection is my own victory too. I love God when I'm thankful to him. And I love God by being thankful to him. Colossians 2, 6-7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So what does it look like to live in the already kingdom? It starts with loving God by being thankful for his grace. Secondly, to be holy. Holiness in keeping with our status as being righteous in Christ. In the end of the the book of Acts, chapter 26, the apostle Paul was standing before King Agrippa and he said this. He said, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. But I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea and to all the Gentiles, what? What did he declare? That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. We talked last week about what it means to repent, right? It's to turn away from sin and turn towards God. Not just to be sorrowful over our sin, but to, but to see tr- transformation and change in our lives. To be holy, to be like God, to live the way he designed us to live, to live in accordance with his good guidance and commandments and rules for life. And the thing about repentance is it's not just something that you do at the beginning when you turn from sin and you say, I need you, Lord, and you get saved, right? But it's something that we live in. We keep in repentance. We live now lives that are holy. Why? Because we're living now on earth as it is in heaven, right? So I'm loving God by living in accordance with how he has made and directed me to live. How does that look? Galatians 5 is a great place to start. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Love God by living as He intended, to walk in that repentance, to live in holiness, keeping with our status as being made right in Christ. 
And then thirdly, I said, in wholeness. Not holiness, but wholeness. Meaning that we live as people who have been made whole. Living free from the condemnation of the sin and the death that once reigned over us, but now no longer has any power. It has no sway because we are in Christ. Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does this have to do with loving God? This has to do with living, again, in accordance with what he has made me to be, right? If God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus, then who am I not to forgive myself? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am thankful and I live a holy life when I am free from the guilt and the shame of my sin. When I can say to God, thank you, I am not condemned. And I can not only say that, knowing that it's true, but I can, I can live within my own heart believing that it's true. And I wonder if this is something that you needed to hear this morning. If God has forgiven you in his son, who are you not to forgive yourself? You've been called to live in wholeness. You've been saved for life. So we love God by living in accordance with what he has made us and remade us in Jesus Christ. Loving God is being thankful for his grace. It's in keeping with our, 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 our status as righteous in Christ and holiness and living in wholeness, free from condemnation. That's a good picture of what it means to be restored to relationship with God. Again, I could say much, much more. I'm limited this morning, but that's a good start and a good picture. What does it mean then? What does kingdom living mean then? Listen again, living on earth as it is in heaven for how we experience restored relationships with others and with the world. Remember the second part of the commandment. First part, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, I could say a lot about this, and the Bible says a lot about this, but I want to limit it to four things this morning that I think are at least a good encapsulation of what the Scriptures say. The first one is to live in right relationship with others, to live in reconciliation and with justice towards them. Secondly, to be self-giving and generous towards others. Thirdly, to, to live in unity and in fellowship with others. And fourthly, then, to be missional in evangelism towards others. Let's talk about those one at a time. Reconciliation and justice. If we're now free to have right relationships with others, then we have to, we have to start by recognizing that what our relationships with others have been like under the power of sin and death is that there's been a lot of wrongs committed, right? We sin against one another. We've hated other people. We've put ourselves first. Reconciliation is about, and justice is about make, taking a wrong and making it right. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration and comfort one another. 
agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We seek to be reconciled with one another. We take the gospel that we've believed for ourselves and we say, if God has forgiven me, even as I have wronged him, he has shown me mercy and he has shown me grace, then how can I then not show that towards others? Right? I've been set free to be able to extend that same mercy and grace and love of the gospel to others, to seek reconciliation with those where relationships were wronged and make them right. I think about Zacchaeus, by the way. Zacchaeus in the, in the Bible, you remember him? He was a tax collector. He was a guy who had, had, had oppressed his own people, the Jewish people. He had stolen from them. He was working for the Roman government. He was a, a real traitor to them. As he sees Jesus walking by, he climbs up a tree, right, to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And, and Jesus takes notice of him and, and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming into your household today. And when Zacchaeus demonstrated faith in Christ, the first thing he did was to say, I'm going to make it right. All this that I've taken from others, all this that I've stolen from my own kinsmen, I want to I give it back. I want to restore to them all that I can. He wanted to take what was wrong and make it right. And when Jesus hears Zacchaeus say this, Jesus says, truly salvation has come to this home today. This is a picture of a man who's been renewed in Christ. Reconciliation and justice, it also leads us to then caring for what's wrong in our society. Remember what James says in chapter 1. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. No more partiality. Looking for the oppression and the injustice in this world and caring for those who've been afflicted. This is what it means to seek reconciliation and justice. This is what it means to say, I want to live my life in such a way to see what's on earth reflect the way it is in heaven. The second thing was, I said, self-giving love and generosity. It's related to the first, right? But it, it, it sort of puts, it puts more feet to it, to be self-giving and generous. This is a, a way in which we, we reveal again the right image of God in the world. What is God like? God is self-giving, and he is generous towards us, Right? So to live under his reign and rule as a redeemed person means I want to be the same. 1 Timothy 6, verses 18 and 19, says they are to do good. You're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as good foundations for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I love, I love that picture there that, that Paul's talking about to Timothy. He's saying, look, when, when, when we're self-grasping, 
when we're, rather than generous, when we're sort of hoarders and we're self-focused, we're not holding on to that which is truly life. We're holding on to that which kills. It's killing us and it's killing society. He says, no, no, be like God. Be generous towards one another. Be willing to, to share with one another. And when you're able to do that, you are rich in good works. You're taking hold of that which is truly life. You're imaging God again. There's a beautiful picture of that in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. Now the full number of those who believed, so this is the church, they were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Here's a group of people who know the gift, the generous gift of salvation that they've been given by God through Christ and they say, we want to reflect that. We want to take no longer ownership of anything. We say, it all belongs to you, God. It all belongs to King Jesus. And these are your people. Help us to be generous like you. To live on earth as it is in heaven. So reconciliation and justice, self-giving love and generosity. Thirdly, unity and fellowship. We are saved from sin and to life in the kingdom. And life in the kingdom means life in community, specifically within the community of God's people, the church. That's what the church is. The church is God's new community. You were made for unity and fellowship. Restored relationship brings us into family. Ephesians chapter 4 God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? What is it that we do as this unified new people? We build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's so important that, that as we live this life in, under the reign and rule of Jesus, that we live it in the community of the fellowship of the saints within the church. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you, as you recognize that this earthly reality of the kingdom is fading away and the fullness of the kingdom of God and the second coming of Christ is, is at hand. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be here before we know it. And so as we look forward to that reality where, again, all of the saints together are worshiping God, then, then we're modeling that now. We're experiencing that even now, right? Not neglecting that, but being united together for fellowship with the people of God. Such an important part of kingdom living. And then finally this, mission and evangelism. This is about the expansion of the kingdom. 
Again, if we've received this great gift of salvation, if we know that there's a God who sent his son Jesus, who's, who sort of, who's unzipped the zipper and is peeling back the facade of this broken, fallen world and showing us there's an ultimate reality of, of God's reign and rule that's good and pure and lovely and life-giving, and you know that, and you've been, you've been given entrance into that kingdom then what a, what a privilege and what a responsibility to, to proclaim that ultimate reality to those who don't yet know about it. Jesus gave his disciples this great commission right before he ascended back to the Father. Jesus came to them and said, this is Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's saying between now and that future day, here's your mandate. Go make disciples. Go tell others this good news. Teach them all that I've said and commanded to you. And by the way, I have all authority Right? Again, this is ultimate reality. I have all authority, and I'm sending you out to bring more and more people in to that reality. Romans 10, 14 to 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is, a, this is a pretty amazing thing, but in God's providence, he's determined that, that it's through his people that that good news will be proclaimed, that that kingdom will expand. He's given us even now a heavenly task of seeing more and more people exposed to that ultimate reality of life in Christ and how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful to be able to, to see people rescued from the power of sin and darkness and transferred into the glorious kingdom of Christ. How beautiful. This is our task. This is what it means to love others, to, to live life in a way here on earth as it is in heaven. We live generously. We live righteously. We live to be reconcilers. We live to be sharers. And we live to be those who proclaim that good news so that more and more people can get in on this good life. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. That's what it means to love God and to love others. It's a life that understands the reality of the kingdom of God under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, who is restoring all things back to God. He's restoring us back to what we were created to be. And this life that recognizes that then lives in accordance with that reign and rule, living in freedom and thankfulness to God, who's graciously saved us. And we show the world what that freedom is like. That's the Christian life. 
and we live this way for the rest of our earthly lives until the Lord returns to bring about the full expression of his kingdom forever. And again, that is our certain hope. He is coming back. He is going to establish this this reign and rule in a way where there is no more reign of sin and death at all. That's our certain hope. Let me close by reading for you the last part of the Bible, Revelation 22. Behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Is that your heart cry this morning? Come, Lord Jesus. That's my heart cry. What is the gospel? It begins with the existence of a loving, good, and perfect God who created the world and who created us, created people to bear his image. And although we rejected him in our sin, breaking our relationship with him, with one another, and cursing the cosmos into decay and death, he did something about it. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to rescue and redeem us. Jesus living the sinless life that we could not live and taking the curse of our sin upon himself. Dying on a cross to pay the just penalty for our error. But God resurrected him from the dead, conquering the power of sin and death forever for all of those who by faith turn to him in repentance. And now, in Christ, we are free to live lives in restored relationship with him and others and in accordance with his righteousness as he ushers in his kingdom and gives us the hope of eternity with him in heaven. That's the gospel. This is good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel.